morning, everybody. What a beautiful day outside. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, grab a Bible or your phone or mobile device, whatever it is you use, and find 2 Corinthians chapter 9 with me this morning. That's going to be our text. And while you're doing that, let me just mention something about the Solomon Foundation. You may or may not be familiar with that. The Solomon Foundation, simply stated, is something called a church extension fund. And church extension funds, as you saw in the video, loan money to churches to help them get to the next level, whatever that looks like for them. Find more property, build bigger buildings, parking lots, etc. Solomon Foundation has been a big part of my life since its inception in 2011. For the first six years, I served on the board of directors. My term has expired, but I'm still deeply involved, and our church is deeply involved in the Solomon Foundation. Let me tell you what's happened since its inception in 2011. The Solomon Foundation began with $500,000 of assets as two churches both made a donation of $250,000 to get it started. Since then, it has grown in just a little over six years to assets over $370 million. 34,000 investors across the country. We've made loans to 171 churches in 27 states. Those 171 churches have grown by over 40,000 people and have been involved in over 15,000 baptisms. In the first little over six years of the Solomon Foundation's existence, we've made grants to churches, parachurch ministries, and mission organizations over, of over $5 million. The Solomon Foundation is making a huge impact on the world for the kingdom of God, and it does it through ordinary people like you and me who choose to invest. And there's a variety of different kinds of investments. Mount Pleasant Christian Church, of all the Christian churches, independent Christian churches in the country, is the third highest investing church in the Solomon Foundation. In the Commons, we have a table set up. I've got some investment packets. I'll be there after the service. I'd love you to stop by and pick up an investment packet. If you have a question, I'll do my best to answer it. I want to make that plug. Every year when we talk about money, we give a little plug for the Solomon Foundation. All right. Well, this is the third week of our Right on the Money series, and this morning we're going to talk about the importance of having the right plan. We've talked about the right foundation. We've talked about the right margin. Today we're going to talk about having the right plan when it comes to handling the monies God has entrusted to us. So, if you've got your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to invite you to stand with me like we always do for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, and then some selected verses as we go through this message this morning. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. You know, I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't want, at least on some level, to live a generous life. That's why we're always so inspired by stories of generosity. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Stacy Lewis, but she's a member of the LPGA Tour. Very talented golfer, was the number one ranked female golfer in the world back in 2013. She's won 13 times on the LPGA Tour, including two majors. But going into last week's, this past weekend, the LPGA Tour is right here in Indianapolis, but going into last week's Cambia Portland Open, it had been almost four years since her last victory. Stacy has lived in the Houston area 
ever since she was 11, she and her husband continued to live in Houston today, and she was so moved by the scenes of devastation from Hurricane Harvey that before the tournament started, she said that she would donate whatever winnings she had to Hurricane Harvey relief. And when she won the tournament, remember she hadn't won in over almost four years, when she won the tournament, she followed through on her pledge and gave her entire check of $195,000 to hurricane relief. Just one of many professional athletes who donated generously to people in need. Now, someone might hear a story like that and think, well, you know, it's easy to be generous when you've got a lot of money. It's easy to be generous when you're wealthy. But honestly, being wealthy and being generous don't always go hand in hand. That's the reality of life. I know I'm moved whenever I hear about stories of great generosity from just ordinary people. Back in 2015, a woman named Nicole Bowlerman, who is a third grade teacher in Dorchester, Massachusetts, won a contest sponsored by the credit card company Capital One, and she won a cash prize of $150,000. What'd she do with her winnings? Well, she donated it back to the school where she teaches. She said in her own words that she wanted to improve the lives of the students. Now, I have no idea how much a third grade teacher makes in Dorchester, Massachusetts, but I'm pretty confident that $150,000 would have made a huge impact on her life, but she gave it all away. I'll say it again. I, I don't know anyone who doesn't, at least on some level, have a desire to live a generous life. But in spite of that desire, in spite of these kinds of stories, the truth is few people do. Few people live genuinely generous lives, even Christians. I read a couple of alarming statistics this past week about Christians when it comes to giving and generosity in their local church. The first one said that the average giving by adults who attend Protestant churches in the United States of America is about $17 a week. The second one said that almost 40% of regular church attendees don't give any money at all to support the ministry of their local church. Now, let everybody look up here and listen. I know better than most that statistics can sometimes be manipulated and skewed. You can make numbers say just about anything you want them to sometimes. But I also know, listen, I also know based on the giving records of this church that a very small percentage of the people here give a large percentage of our weekly offering. Now, I don't know anything about names or specifics. I don't know uh, whether you're the most generous giver in our church or whether you never give a dime. I don't know anything about names. I just know about the numbers of people who give related to the numbers of people who come. And Mount Pleasant is in many ways an exceptional church when it comes to money. So that tells me that these statistics are probably pretty reliable. So what's the problem? Why do so few Christians give generously when it comes to supporting the ministry of their local church? Well, I think there are two fundamental reasons why. The first reason is because of planning. The second reason is because of priority. I'm going to talk about the first one today, and we'll talk about the second one next week as we finish this series. And that takes us to our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. If I were going to outline those three verses that I just read, that we just read together, I would tell you that in those three verses, I see three things. First of all, I see a principle. Because in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, Paul writes and says, Remember this, 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I don't think that requires any real explanation. There's just a principle at work in those words. And Paul is basically saying that what we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. In fact, you ought to write that down in your notes or write that down in the margin of your Bible next to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. And that's a principle that's found all throughout the Bible. Let me give you a couple of examples. Look at these words on the screen from uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. The proverb writer says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And there you see the principle again. A generous man will prosper... He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. We see it in the positive context, that same principle in the positive context of generosity. How about these words from Galatians chapter 6? This is verses 7 and 8. I'm sure they'll be familiar to most of us. Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And here's the principle. A man reaps what he sows. And then he illustrates it. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we see the same principle, and we see it illustrated in a negative and a positive context. Someone who sows to the sinful nature, from the sinful nature will reap destruction. That's the negative context. Someone who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That's the positive context. I'm telling you, this principle is seen all throughout the Bible, literally, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. This is a very important principle when it comes to the idea of being generous. Now, the second thing I see in those verses that we read, if I were going to outline them, is a plan. Number one, I see a principle, and number two, I see a plan. Back in verse 7, Paul says, Each man should give... What he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the words, obviously, that jump right out at me when it comes to a plan is the words, or are the words, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Now listen, if you came up to the platform today uh, because you just wanted to be nosy, and you looked in my Bible... You would see, I got my Bible open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just like you do. I'm not adverse to writing in my Bible. I know some people are. That's okay. They'll still get to heaven if you write in your Bible. But in the margin here, it's not right next to the passage we read because there's no room. I've got verse 7 with a little arrow pointing to a space, and this is what I've got written. The secret to being generous is managing your money, and by your money, I'm talking about whatever it is that God has entrusted to you because God owns everything, right? Everyone say, right. God owns everything. The secret to being generous is managing your money with a plan that includes being generous. Isn't that simple? The secret to being generous is managing your money with a plan that includes being generous. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now listen, the problem when it comes to generosity for many people is a lack of a plan. It's a lack of planning. That's why I said that the first fundamental reason why so many people are not generous when it comes to supporting, financially supporting the ministry of the local church is planning. That's the first problem. There's no plan in many people's lives 
with regard to the way they manage their money. The problem isn't a money problem for people who aren't generous. It's more of a discipline problem because there's no plan for giving and there's no plan for generosity. In fact, there's no plan for handling any aspect of the money that God has entrusted to you. Last week, we talked about this one verse from Proverbs 13, 16 a lot. I told you it's one of my favorite verses. The proverb writer says, Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. The proverb writer says, Every wise man acts out of knowledge. That means a wise man, a prudent man, as he goes through life, operates in every area of his life from a position of knowledge. A fool, a foolish man just exposes his folly by having no knowledge, by having no plan, by just thinking somehow things are going to work out on their own. Let me give you another great verse like that from Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 8. In fact, read it with me. Let me hear your voices. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Wise people give thought to the way they manage the money that God has entrusted to them. And as they give thought to the way they manage that money, they make a plan for generosity. That's what we need to remember. Now, the third thing I would see in that passage that we read, first of all, I saw a principle, then I saw a plan. The third thing I see is a promise. And I go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this time the last verse we read, verse 8. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's Paul saying, friends? He's saying when we give, when we are generous, God promises to bless us with all, everyone say all, all that we need. We ought to underline, circle, or highlight the word all there in our Bibles. It's the Greek word pas, P-A-S, is the English rendering. And it literally means everything. It means the whole. It's the idea of absolutely nothing is missed. And so when Paul says, and God will bless you with all that you need, he's not going to leave anything out. This is the way I would outline that passage. It's a great passage of Scripture. It's a very simple passage of Scripture when it comes to really helping us understand what it means to live generous lives. We understand the principle, we understand the importance of a plan, and we understand God's promise when we are generous. Now, listen, as important as all three of those words are, the principle, the plan, and the promise, without question this morning, the one that is most important for all of us is that word plan. We need to have a plan for how we manage Our money, whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, we need a plan. And that's especially true when it comes to managing it from a position of generosity. Remember, I told you the secret to being generous is to manage your money with a plan that includes being generous. And this, quite frankly, is where so many people get stuck. So let me get real specific with you for just a few minutes this morning For the past several years, we've taken three or four weeks every year to talk about money. Normally, we do it in November, but I chose to do it uh, earlier this year. We take three or four weeks, and we talk about money. And at the end of the series, I challenge you with regard to giving and generosity. And for the past several years, I have challenged you to embrace the plan of giving a tithe back to the ministry of this church. The word tithe is a word that simply means a tenth part. 
Now, the giving of the tithe has its roots in the Old Testament. You understand we have a Bible with an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? And I told you before that you could substitute the word covenant for testament. And so what we have in our Bibles is an old covenant and a new covenant. And you can get even more simple and you can substitute the word agreement. And so what we have in our Bibles is an old agreement and a new agreement. Now, the truth is the giving of the tithe has its roots in that old testament, that old covenant, that old agreement. It was a part of what was called the Old Testament law. Now, I don't have time to explain this in detail, so just listen to me really close. When God chose to have his own people, which, was the, which were the Israelites, the Jewish people, he wanted them to be distinct and different from everybody else in the world. And one of the ways he tried to ensure that was he gave them a law to follow, the Old Testament law. Sometimes it's called the Mosaic law to follow. And in following that law, they would be different and distinct from the rest of the world. And one of the things that was in that Old Testament law was the giving of the tithe, this tenth part, the giving of the tithe back to God. Now, the deal that we need to understand is that we, we don't live under the Old Testament anymore. We don't live under the Old Covenant anymore. We don't live under the Old Agreement anymore because we're New Testament Christians. We're New Covenant believers. We're New Agreement believers because when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And so, a lot of people have a really negative, adverse reaction to the idea of the giving of a tithe because it's, it has its roots in the Old Testament and we are New Testament Christians. I want to speak to that for just a moment. My wife, Sandy, who was here at the 845 service and I, for many, many years, in every single church that we have served over the past We've been married a little over 35 years. In every church we've served, we have embraced the giving of a tithe back to the ministry of our church. But we don't give a tithe back to the ministry of our church because we somehow think we're obligated to follow the Old Testament law. Because we are not. We're New Testament Christians. We embrace the giving of a tithe simply as a measurement of of generosity. I want to say that again. We embrace the giving of the tithe as a measurement of generosity. Now, when we were first married and we were first starting out uh, in ministry in my little church that started with 30 people back in Houston, Texas, uh, to be honest with you, the giving of a tithe was a goal. We didn't, right from the beginning, give back 10% of what we had to the ministry of the church. The giving of a tithe was a goal. We had to work our way there. But that was over 35 years ago. We've been married over 35 years, and now we don't view the giving of a tithe as a goal. We view the giving of a tithe as the starting point for our generosity. And the truth is, for many, many years, we've given over and above a tithe back to the ministry of our local church, and then we give and try to be generous in the support of other missions and ministries that we believe in. But we have never viewed the tithe as an obligation. We've always viewed it as a measurement of generosity. Now, I know that even with that explanation, that there are still people who are going to have a negative reaction to the giving of a tithe because it has its roots in the Old Testament, and we don't live under the Old Testament law any longer. But what I want to make sure that you understand is that both the Old and the New Testament have very specific instructions about giving and generosity. And just because you don't 
find this obligation of the giving of a tithe in the New Testament does not mean that God does not expect, continue to expect generosity from people like you and me when it comes to supporting what he's doing in the world today. How many of you know that this is what God does? He uses ordinary people like you and me to support what he's doing in the world today. And often we do that by supporting it financially. So I'm going to take the few minutes that I have left, and I'm going to show you the difference between what the Old Testament teaches and what the New Testament teaches with regard to giving and generosity. We already know what the Old Testament teaches. It teaches the giving of the tithe. I'm going to show you what the New Testament teaches, and I'm going to show you, I hope that you'll see, that God's expectation is every bit as much that we would be generous as believers, as his children in the New Testament, as it clearly is in the Old Testament. So, I'm going to give you four contrasts. This is the outline on your bulletin toward the end of the insert there. And I want you to write these down. I'm going to try to work my way through them really quickly. The first one is this. What we see is the contrast of specific versus sacrificial. If we look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament and giving and generosity, we see the contrast of specific versus sacrificial. Now, we already know what the specific was, as I said, because the giving of a tithe in the Old Testament was a specific instruction. In fact, everybody look up here at me for a minute. You know, in the Old Testament, the instruction of the law was to give three different tithes. Three different tithes. Three different tithes. Two of them were annual. One of them happened every three years. So if you do the math, what God was expecting his people to do in the Old Testament was to give 23% of their income basically back to support the ministry uh, or or his people and, and his work in the world. One tithe went to support the Levites and the priests as they served in the temple. One tithe was called a festival tithe, and it went to make sure that Jewish families would be able to travel to Jerusalem during certain times of the year to participate in feasts and celebrations, and the other tithe was for the poor. The one that was for the poor was the one that was only received every three years. The first two were annual. So we already know that the instruction in the Old Testament for giving was specific, but what about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament teaches us that we should give sacrificially. Look at these words on the screen from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is verses 1 through 4. Paul says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Now what Paul is describing here is an offering he was receiving from Macedonian churches for the church in Jerusalem that was living under extreme poverty. And notice what what he says about these churches, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, you know what that is? That's sacrificial giving. That's sacrificial giving. The New Testament, this is just one example. The New Testament teaches us that we need to give sacrificially. And sacrificial giving can be so incredibly meaningful in the lives of ordinary people like you and me. You know, Sandy and I have two kids. You know them. Andrew's on staff. He's going to come out here and close the service in a few minutes. Trish was up here singing just a moment ago. Both of our kids graduated from college, and we went to the graduation, the commencement ceremony for both of them. Uh, Andrew's was in Knoxville at Johnson, when he graduated from Johnson Bible College, which is now Johnson University, and Trish's was in downtown Indianapolis when she graduated from IUPUI. Now, when Sandy and I sat through those graduation ceremonies, We never once thought about the sacrifices we made to get our children to that point. And there were sacrifices because we didn't borrow any money for their college education. 
And we made sacrifices with regard to our spending choices. And Sandy went back to work. She, she hadn't worked outside the home for a long time. And she went to work. And virtually every dime that she earned went toward paying for our kids' college educations. But when we sat there and we watched them get their diplomas and go through that whole thing, we never once thought about those sacrifices. All we thought about was how much we loved those two kids, how proud we were of them, and and what was ahead of them, what God was going to do in their lives. We're excited about what was going to happen next. Well, in, in a very real way, our giving should follow that same process. Because when we see what God is doing in and through the ministry of the local church, when we see what God is doing in and through the ministry of this local church, in this community, and around the world through our ministry partners, we should simply think about the eternal worth of our giving, and that should motivate us to give sacrificially. And oftentimes, sacrificial giving is well beyond 10%. Well beyond you know, uh, last spring, as a part of our Change the World Week, we, we had several thousand volunteers, or a few thousand volunteers, I guess, across the street to Community Life Center, and we put together over 400,000 prepackaged meals. Do you remember when we did that? Many of you participated in that. We sent those meals to our ministry partner in Cuba. We shipped those meals out weeks ago, a long time ago. But this last week, our serve pastor, Chad Ranson, told me that he heard from Cuba, and because of red tape internally in Cuba, those meals just arrived there this past week. And Pastor Pachi from Cuba, who's been in our service, contacted us and said, this is basically his, a, a paraphrase of his words, he says, Chad, this is just a God thing that these meals arrived when they did, because now with Hurricane Irma bearing down on us, we have over 400,000 meals that we can distribute to people who are going to be displaced and in need. Listen, I'm telling you, God works through the ministry of the local church. And God works through this church. That's just one tiny story. If we had time, I could tell you more about what God does. And so when we see that, we see the eternal worth of our giving, and it makes us want to sacrifice to do even more, make an even bigger impact on the world around us. All right, let me give you a second one. The second uh, the second contrast is the contrast between obligation and opportunity. In the Old Testament, the giving of a tithe was an obligation. You did it to follow the law. That's not what giving looks like in the New Testament. In the New Testament, giving is in response to opportunity. Look at these. We just read these words, but let's just remind ourselves again. This is verse, the last part of verse 3 and then verse 4 from 2 Corinthians 8. Paul described the Macedonian church. He said, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Those are amazing words. The Macedonian churches saw and heard about the suffering that was going on in the church in Jerusalem because of their financial hardship, and they viewed the opportunity to give to help alleviate that suffering as a blessing to them rather than an obligation the only way you can give like that is, to, is to, to view the money that you have that God has entrusted to you not as something to be hoarded and held on to, but as something to be used to make a difference in the world. God wants us to respond to legitimate needs and opportunities. So I've got the tip jars down here again today, just simply because last weekend was a holiday weekend, Labor Day weekend. We put the tip jars out. If anybody wanted to make a donation to Hurricane Harvey Relief, I think right now we've got somewhere around $20,000 that we've received in just 
donations when people came up after the service and dropped money in, dropped a dollar or five dollars or put a check in. We're going to distribute it through a ministry partner called IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services. We'll probably have them out here in a couple of weeks for Hurricane Irma relief. Okay, and I got them out here because we had several hundred people not here last week on the holiday, and if you weren't here and you want to participate, you can drop that in. But you know what would be bad is if we came into the church sometime, we saw those tip jars out, and we just went, oh, what now? You already asked for my regular tithe and offering. You asked for change for a dollar money. What now? But this is giving. Giving is not obligation. It's opportunity, and there's blessing in that. Third, let me give you a third one. The third contrast is percentage versus proportion. We've already seen that the Old Testament giving was a matter of percentage as people were instructed to tithe, and I told you there were three different tithes. In the New Testament, the instruction about giving is, isn't focused on percentage. It's focused on proportion. Look at these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes and says, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now it's that phrase, in keeping with his income, that makes a difference here. Because basically, even though this is difficult for some people to hear, what Paul is saying is the more we have, the more we should give. Now that, you'd think that that would be kind of a natural thing for some people, but it's not. Because virtually every report that I read related to the church and generosity says the same thing. That as as people's income rises, the percentage of their giving goes down. Why do you think that is? There's a lot of ways to answer that question, but one of the reasons is because the more we make, the more we spend. And the more we spend, the less we have to give. And if we haven't made a fundamental commitment to generosity when we have very little, it's going to be difficult to make that fundamental commitment when we have a lot. Let me give you a fourth and final contrast. It's the contrast of responsibility versus response. This is the bottom line. God wants us to recognize all he has done for us, and then respond by living thankful and generous lives. Look at these words on the screen from James 1.17. James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So in the Old Testament, giving was a responsibility. In the New Testament, giving is to be a response to the goodness of God. So here's a question. Okay, I'm just about done. Here's a question for all of us. How good has God been to you? How good has God been to you? You know what? I don't have any problem standing up here this morning and saying God has been very good to me in my life. But you know what? In my life, I've gone through some really difficult times. And in my life, I've gone through some really disappointing times. But at the end of the day, if I weigh it on the scales, the goodness of God far outweighs the difficulty and the disappointment. Am I the only one who could say that? Somebody say amen. How good has God been to you? Our giving should be motivated, our generosity should be motivated by our recognition of the goodness of God. So, here's the question. We'll bring this to a close. Here's the question. What's your plan for generosity? Moving forward, what's your plan for generosity? If the secret to being generous is managing your money, whatever it is that God has entrusted to you, whether it's a little or a lot, If the secret to being generous is managing your money with a plan that includes being generous, what's your plan going to be for generosity? How sad and tragic would it be if you came to the end of the day and you just said, I just never had a plan? What's your plan going to be? 
Let me show you a video of one man's plan and then we'll bring this to a close. Your priorities are in life and everything are well known, huh. but it is a huge contract. Um, just, and you're not really an extravagant guy, but is there one thing that you that you're going to sort of splurge on that you can let Chick, us know? Chick-fil-A. Probably Chick-fil-A. Uh, I've been eating clean. Lad, lad, we got Lad here. He's been having me eat clean. I'll probably get some Chick-fil-A. But uh, no, uh, first thing I'll do is I'll pay my tithe like I have since I was in college, getting $700 on a scholarship check. Um, you know, that, that won't change. I'll do that. Uh, I'll probably get my wife something nice, uh, you know, even though she begs me not to. She, she still gets coupons. Ever since, we, ever since I've known her, she finds coupons, she gets online trying to find discounts and all those things, and uh, none, none of that's going to change. The, the exciting thing for me, money-wise, honestly, is that this money's going to help a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, I'm very thankful to have it, that it's in our hands, because it's going to help people not only in this country, but in a lot of countries around the world. Um, and that's, what, that's what's exciting to me. What an incredible testimony. What an incredible testimony. So here's Derek Carr, the quarterback for, I mean, who are they now? The Las Vegas Raiders. I don't know. They have a different city every year. The Las Vegas Raiders, he's the highest played player in the NFL, five-year, $125 million contract. What are you going to do? I'm going to do the same thing I did when I was getting $700 a month on a scholarship check. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give my tithe. How incredible is that? Let me, let me ask you, what, which do you think is more difficult, to tithe off of $700 or to tithe off of $125 million? What's your plan going to be for generosity? Let's pray.